Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Dorno Porter and welcome back to So Lucky, where each week I go deep with my guest and explore all of the sides to all of their stories. The highs and lows, their hopes and fears, their lucky and unlucky moments. My guest for you this week is the truly one-of-a-kind Lionel Shriver, author of We Need to Talk About Kevin, Big Brother and Property, amongst many others. Now, I am a huge fan of Lionel's writing, which is what I focus on in this chat. She's a controversial character and her journalism definitely raises an eyebrow or two. And I will admit that I don't agree with a lot of what she talks about. However, I am a huge fan of her books and that's what I chose to focus on for the sake of this interview. I also find her life fascinating. She tries to pass off herself as normal and she isn't normal. She is kind of bizarre in the way that she lives. Uh, She stays up all night and sleeps until midday and all these little quirks which I can't get enough of. So we talk about all of that. We also talk about politeness and pushiness. We talk about the fact that she's not on social media which I find fascinating how anybody in this modern age cannot be on social media because it's everywhere and I'm so obsessed I don't understand how anyone isn't obsessed. We talk about her nocturnal existence, how books don't get any easier with experience which almost made me cry. And we talk about food, including her very clear rules about popcorn, always savoury, and every single day. See, she's quirky. I was so excited to talk to Lionel, and I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. So here is me, Dorno Porter, talking to the extraordinary Lionel Shriver. I look at your life happy marriage, successful author. Um, you live between London and Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, you appear to be very solid in who you are. You have a routine, a rigorous routine. You um, exercise. You love to cycle. You love to play tennis. You're very healthy. Do you consider yourself to be a lucky person? Yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a fiction writer, I am constantly contriving other people's lives that are so much worse than mine. Right. Because lucky people are not interesting to write about or read about. I mean, something horrible has to happen to them. Yes. And, you know, there's this, that conventional opening, either in books or in films, where it's this, you know, happy families. And the kids are cute and saying charming things. Mm -hmm. And the mother is... Rushing off to a wonderful job, and yeah. she obviously, you know, maybe maybe they have sex that morning and get interrupted. That's another cliched scene. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know something horrible is going to happen to these yeah. people. So the nice thing about real life is <clears> that <throat> you can actually go through long periods of time and have no plot, right? And no plot is a mercy. Yes. Plot is bad. And, of course, you don't ever get out of plot in the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's inevitable something's yeah, going to happen. people die on you yeah you die on yourself uh history proceeds sometimes tramples over your head mm-hmm. and uh and therefore periods in which nothing particularly is happening and everything is fine they're very precious and in fact i think that's the big mistake that people make when things go well is just not to savor it because it it does it does seem as if it's going to go on forever, and yeah. that is a, a complete mistake. That's a mistake. Yes, yeah. I agree. Yeah, it's it, it, these these periods are a little are very precious. In fact, I made a note of that when you were at your book launch uh, the other night that uh, you talked about how you were uh, happily married and you love your kids and mm-hmm. you love your job. And again, I have that feeling like, oh, you better cling to that because who knows. You, what's going to happen next you know you have no idea how long that's going to last yeah I'm so so in tune with that as well and so my my problem is that I will I'm always trying to race on to the next thing I'm not very good at sitting in the moment Mm -hmm. I'm always wondering what's next is everything going to be okay it's all going to fall apart and I said um I said in my little speech at my book launch that I'm just having this strange moment where everything is really nice and of course it's not going to last and trying to remind myself to just just enjoy it. Um, but it's hard to do that. I find that quite hard to do that because I, I, I've got a I surround myself with a lot and I do lots of things. And there's always, I, I have allowed so much opportunity for something to fuck things up for me because I allow so much in all the time. Are you quite sparse in your life? As no, in, I wouldn't no. characterize my life as sparse. Um, I travel a lot mm-hmm. for work. As as I imagine you do, mm. um, I do a lot of literary festivals, probably more than are good for me. Uh, but it still gets me out of the house, and, yeah, and takes me interesting places. How do you? Because um, obviously, as a writer, there's a need to publicize and be a voice out there, or at least it helps. How are you in terms of broadcasting? Are you quite confident with it all? Do you enjoy it? Do you like being on camera? You know, I expressly don't like being on camera. Uh, it creates a physical self-consciousness that I find actively unpleasant. Uh-huh. So I, do you do it very often? Not all that often. Right. Uh, I get asked to do the news, like Newsnight or Channel 4, more often than I want to do it. In fact, I beg off often as not. So why do you say yes? I start feeling guilty for having said no. Right. It's utterly ludicrous. <laughs> it's ludicrous, Lionel. <laughs> and, and, of course, it's flattering to be asked. Uh, and I find it universally unsatisfying. I can't remember ever having walked off, especially a newscast, and being satisfied with myself and pleased with the, the result. And, you know, I never feel that I said what I wanted to. Right. Time on television goes lickety-split. You're usually competing for time with other people like Alistair Campbell, uh-huh, tough who's guy. like a foot and a half taller than I am and is very used to not only being on TV, but taking up more than his share of the time on TV. Yes. 
and I tend to be too polite. I don't think of you and your character that I think of you as as being, I presume that you're confident to not be polite, I think is what I'm trying to say. Is that an unfair assessment of you? I wish I were more impolite, especially in these circumstances, because it's the people who are impolite who, who push themselves in and get to say their piece. Yeah. And I tend to sit there and, and wait for Emily Maitlis to call on me. Right. And she never does. Okay, so that's you, the nature of the animal. And so then you then you kind of walk away thinking, why the hell did I just put oh, myself absolutely. in Oh, absolutely. Why position? did I just ruin my evening? You know, right, yeah. Newsnight goes out live. It starts at 10.30. Usually the slot I'm on is at the end. Mm-hmm. I don't get home till midnight. Why did I ruin our evening? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really odd thing to, um, to do again after you've had that feeling. <laughs> but here we are I think in I this keep, bizarre industry. Yeah, I think I keep... Uh, Hoping that this time will be different. Yeah. Um, are you <laughs> on any... Famous last yeah. word. Um, you're not on any social media, are you? No. So what's that decision? Why? I already don't have enough time in the day. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't need more distraction from the work that I have to get done. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm also leery of putting myself out there at, for target practice. That's a really no. good point. I really just don't yes. see the point of it. Do you think you would get, uh, well, just trolls, which is the, the oh, term? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I know they're out there, and I know that uh, they say mean things about me, but I am not on the platforms w- where they are being said, and therefore they never get to me. Right. And I find that gratifying. You know, it's, a, it's perfect protection. Yes. Are you ever inclined to Google yourself? I have occasional need to for one thing or another, but I try to avoid it. I do not have a Google alert on my name. You have an an admirable level of self-protection in a world where everyone is um, obsessed with the response that they're getting. I value my privacy. Mm-hmm. And I also think there's something to be said for the old uh, protocol whereby authors were remote. Yes. And you got to know them through their work. And you didn't expect that just because they were somewhere out in the world that you had a right to access to them. You know, you you could always send a letter to the publisher and it would eventually get there, Mm -hmm. maybe. In truth, (laughs) publishers are so uh, careless about this stuff that it will often take months for a fan, a, a traditional snail mail fan letter to get to my desk, but I right. always answer them. I'm always respectful of someone who's gone to that much trouble. Mm-hmm. And then there's another kind of fan mail that now comes in by email. And as long as I'm disciplined, then I send a response through the publisher. I've, I, I'm not, I have not always been disciplined, and I have also often regretted that. Um, do you try and respond to as much as you can? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, if somebody has taken uh, time out of their day and are following the rules to tell me usually Mm -hmm. that they liked one of my books, then the least I can do is say thank you. Uh Um, You write from home, do you? Yeah. Um, Would you ever consider like a co-working space and being around other people? You like the solitude of it? No, if you're picking up a pattern, it's basically to keep other people out of my life. Yes. So Doesn't that make you feel special? It does, and actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on to me and my relationship with you because um, 
I mean, I knew of your writing obviously before I knew you, and uh, but little, little did I know that you lived on my street at, at this time. Um, that I had just read. We need to talk about Kevin, and it consumed my life for a good six months of being able to think about nothing but it was honestly one of my favorite books well, that of all makes time. Me feel guilty. Um, no, in all the right ways. It was. It was. It was. You know, this is before I'd started writing fiction myself. It got me as a story. It got me all that stuff. But I was like, God, if I could ever grip a reader in the way that that book gripped me, I was, I was, oh God, I mean, you know, I mean, you know exactly what that book does to people. It was fantastic. And uh, then I discovered that you um, live on my street. And so then my life became about how do I make friends with Lionel Shriver? How am I going to get to this woman? I'm quite scared of you, I think I was, because you're mysterious. And I would try to research you. And it's like, you know, that you, you are, you are very self-protected and you have, um, it's so unusual, I find, to discover someone who doesn't want to be like out there and mega famous and on Twitter and trying to like get attention for their writing all the time. No, you just were so cool, which is exact opposite to how well, I am. Considering what a nerd I was in <laughs> primary school, that's a that's a, a compliment that's been long in coming. Well, Lionel, coolness changes, doesn't it? As yes, you it get does. older, it becomes something different. Now, to me, you are very, very cool. Um, at, when I was at school, that wasn't what cool was, but now it is. Anyway, so my uh, long, long story short, my my cat went missing and turned up on your doorstep when I was on my honeymoon, and um, I had an excuse to talk to you. That's right. Yes. And, and though my husband would contest that version. Of okay. Events. Well, you okay. tell me what really happened. No, whenever you come up, uh, he reminds me that that he. He rescued your cat. He found your cat. It had gone missing. Yes. And uh, he, he believes that he has special communication powers with animals. I'll just leave that neutral. Yeah, we'll just let that hang. Right. Um, <laughs> and... And yes, he rescued your cat. So, so there's a different story. The thing is, that's great, and I, I kind of want to know exactly what happened. But the other thing is, I love telling the story that my cat turned up on Lionel Shriver's doorstep. So I mm -hmm. kind of don't want you to shatter that for me. I um, just shattered it. You did, you did, and I'm <laughs> ignoring you. Um, anyway, it was, um, it was a wonderful thing to meet you because um, I, I just, I, I admire you very much. And since then, you've um, come to. Well, two you're not too shabby yourself. Thank you, my love. And then you've come to two of my book launches, which I was really flattered by because you kept turned up. And I was, I, I, there was a diarist at my last one, and they all just want the kind of um, TV presenters and all that. And the only thing that they picked out was the fact that you'd come and there was a picture of me and you in this paper. And I felt really cool that day. So I thank you for coming and um, and allowing that photo to happen. I, had a, a I was good very time proud. Both of them. Thank you very much. Um, so uh, your daily routine is um, you wake up late is that correct Very. what kind of time oh I'm tempted to lie don't lie this <laughs> is a safe space <laughs> no it isn't um, we've been getting up at 11 <sighs> I'm sorry no it just sounds now that sounds awfully indulgent but we generally don't get to bed to sleep anyway until 4 you go to sleep at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. What are you doing until four o'clock in the morning? Nothing very interesting. Is that when you we write? don't eat? Uh, no. Again, not that interesting. It's just we don't eat till midnight. Sometimes twelve thirty. Do you watch television? What's uh, on at that time? Newsnight. Um. Yeah. Newsnight's on series record, and. No, we, we we have a normal schedule. It's just everything is is it's just later. Is later. So how, how lovely we, that you're both the same. Well, my husband doesn't have much of a choice, right? I'm afraid I probably set the schedule, and he tends to complain. But the truth is, he's a jazz musician. He's a drummer, and 
when he does have gigs, 4 a.m. is nothing. Right. I mean, there have been so-called evenings when he didn't come home until 11 in the morning. Right. So I think he would can left to his own devices to keep in a more erratic schedule. Yeah. I'm very rigid. Right. And therefore, I keep the same schedule. It's just a few hours later than everyone else's. Got it. Um, are you good at relaxing? No. So what happens when you try to relax? Um, well, eventually I fall asleep. Um, but uh, Like a holiday. What's your, I mean, what's I, I your don't want to sound like some workaholic drear. I, I, don't, I don't think I work all that hard. And uh, I watch plenty of TV mm-hmm. happily. Mm-hmm. Um, I like reading. I, I play lots of tennis in the summer. That's... Well, it's not, I was going to say that's relaxing, but it isn't when I'm losing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I think I've got a pretty balanced life. I know that sounds boring, but uh, uh, it's got some variety in it. I mean, that's the thing. You, you, you try to portray me as someone who kind of stays home, a little gnome, and is very private. But I have, a, I have another side. I have a very public life. I may not like being on the news especially, uh-huh. but I love doing public events. Yeah. I love them, and I love live audiences. And and that's been a side of myself that I've only been able to explore, obviously, in my more successful incarnation. But it's turned out to be uh, dead fun and and therefore gives me the opportunity to be more theatrical, right. um, to communicate very directly with people, uh-huh. to play with humor, um, to be sometimes more political. Uh, it's It's been great. And... and, and and then, you know, Q&A is my favorite part. Yeah, so you, you love interacting with your readers. Yeah, I really do. It's nothing better, is there? Especially when they're asking questions and they come from the heart on something that you've written and it's like, oh, it just feels so good, doesn't it? That, yeah, that but, but I like it being... in person, yeah. not on Twitter. Yeah, well, here's the thing. So when you just said that um, I, I'm kind of describing you as a little gnome who hides away all the as you just said, <laughs> um, if that comes across at all insulting, by the way, that I kind of, if I veer my it questions and that, no, the... Uh, I think it just wasn't wholly accurate. I no, and it's not, and I'm, I'm glad to hear it's not. But also, I think I'm so flawed by the fact that with someone who isn't on social media, I think what does someone do with their time when they're not constantly <laughs> checking Twitter? Because I'm sitting here now, and there's a part of me that wants to just be like, can I just, can I just see if someone's anyone's retweeted their last thing that I said? It's I'm so addicted to it. It's such a terrible. I mean, it's a wonderful thing in my life, and I and I adore it. And it's a I love the communication with people, and I I get a real thrill from it, but. If I was to let it go, the time, the airspace, the brain space, the family space, the the love space, everything would just be, I would just have so much more space. And so I I see you as this kind of mysterious creature that doesn't do that and therefore has all this time to do your own thing. And I'm just like, what does, what does someone do with all that time? It's such a, it's such a mystery to me. Uh, well, most of it probably probably goes into reading magazines and newspapers. Right, what magazines so I, I don't do you know. read? Um, well, I, I I always read this Spectator. I try to keep up with Standpoint. I subscribe to Witch. Oh, do you? <laughs> yeah. um, so tell me about when that first nugget of an idea starts to cultivate inside of you for a novel. What do you do? Do you write that down in a notebook and then keep a notebook for each book and add to it? Do you put post-it notes on the walls? Like, How do you build an idea into a book? Well, it starts in my head. 
um, I might mention an idea in my personal journal. Uh, eventually, I'll, I will establish a, a file on the computer. Uh, in the olden days, I would have kept a notebook, a right. handwritten notebook for notes. And now I would tend to keep them uh, digitally. It starts out very loose, and I'll just write down any ideas I've got. I've got uh, a rough outline of the new one ready to go, but that really it's, it's interesting how how little that really does for you uh-huh. if you haven't started the book. Yeah. It, it, in fact, it's a, it gives you an illusion of knowing what you're doing and an illusion of having already come some way in the project, whereas it's only when you've started the first page of the novel proper that you have anything. Uh-huh. And whenever you do that, you realize, oh, my God, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, this feels so fake and unpersuasive. And I have all these grand plans, and I don't know how to achieve them. Right. It's a, and, and, and it's also a reminder of, oh, you know, for example, I've got a whole outline, but I haven't decided what country it takes place. Right, okay. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, I guess there are a few more decisions to be made. And are you quite good at abandoning that whole thing? So you, once you start just letting the journey take you and seeing where it goes, or do you need No, a plan? I'm not generally that kind of writer. Right. Um, I have occasionally changed my mind about something that happens uh, so I, I try not to be mm-hmm. as rigid as I am in my personal life um but uh I do tend to hew to the overall intention of the book right and um is the writing process for you I guess I'm asking for some a glimmer of hope for my own future the more books that you write does it get easier confound it it does not now that's me complaining. Right. Okay, there she is. Right. I am <laughs> I am befuddled. I am befuddled why it doesn't get easier. Okay, yeah. And if anything I would say that Damn it. I have experienced the, the the process as having got harder. Or maybe to be more accurate, every book is different and some books are harder going than others. I mean, my last novel especially once it passed a certain crucial point and I'd done all the research for it. It had that miraculous sense of writing itself, an experience I hadn't had for years. Oh, what a lovely feeling. Yeah, it was wonderful. And there was a little period of time that my husband was gone, uh, as he often is, and I just let myself keep whatever schedule I wanted. And I was staying up till midnight writing. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, as I as I emailed a, a colleague of mine, I feel like a real writer. <laughs> <laughs> it was really really fun. Oh, a lovely just feeling. getting so excited about what I was writing that I didn't want to stop. And that's the way everyone wants to imagine it is. That's very rarely the case. Uh-huh. And it was quite a relief. And. I, You know, I don't expect that necessarily to repeat anytime soon. Right, okay. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. 
Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm going to ask you the question that is the most annoying question that I ever get asked, and I really wish that people didn't ask me because I think people only write ask this to female authors. Okay, so you you inflict on others yes, but what I want has to, been inflicted on yes, you. Yes, you'll have been asked this a thousand times mm-hmm. and that's why it's annoying. But I actually, and I wasn't going to ask you this, so I just actually want to know. And so now I'm going to stop complaining when people ask me. Um, how much of you is in your novels? Well, of course, there's a way in which my novels are all me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't I don't try to craft characters that are identical to myself. That would be boring and interestingly probably impossible as well because the whole idea of a fictional character is a kind of abstraction or extraction and uh it doesn't it wouldn't be me even if i tried to make it me right in fact uh i experimented with this in my last novel the mandibles there is a character in that book called nolly or her her, mm-hmm. her, her, her given name is a noah and nolly is a shorthand. But um, what nobody seems to have picked up in any of the reviews is that Nolly is an anagram of Lionel. There it is. Right? Yeah. And she's, uh, at this point in history, she's like 70 years old, but this is a near future Mm -hmm. novel. So it's looking at me, what age I'm going to be in in 2029, and then on to 2047. Mm -hmm. And I tried to make her utterly unbearable. You know, she's she's opinionated, Uh She's inconsiderate. Uh, she's constantly foisting her views on others. Uh, she puts immoderate uh, quantities of chilies on on her meal, regardless of what she served. Yeah. And um, I, I tried to portray her as, as obnoxious. And um, oh, she exercises every day, but by the time uh, you know, by the time she's seventy, the exercise is kind of farcical. Right. You know, it's like, oh, give me a break. Yeah. With the, <laughs> you know, pounding star jumps on the second floor. Mm-hmm. Um, but funnily enough, uh, she ended up becoming uh, one of my favorite characters. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so maybe that means I have a a healthy relationship to self after all. Um, you've never shied away from, I would say, almost say you're the, the kind of the master of uh, unlikable female characters, which I think... Um, yeah, but I like them. Oh, I, absolutely. And um, and I love reading them. It's like, it's just, you know, this idea that women are always 
nice and sweet and the fact that that became a trend in fiction was just rubbish and the fact that a lot of female writers I think are nervous to write unlikable female characters because they just want their reader to to like them to like the character and I also there's a um a pat thing of the strong yeah female character which is it's just another cliche it is but you still do have to make your reader be on board with that female character or at least have empathy for, with or for or some understanding. To be fair, or, I'm not entirely nice to the men either. No, that's true, but I'm, I'm just... Uh, In fact, so, I've been accused of creating really wussy men. God, I get that too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get, you know, I'd, I'd say... With the men in our books are very different, but I... In, in The Cows... Um, so I had this character of Jason who essentially was a, not a drip. He was lovely. All he wanted was love and babies. And men have interviewed me and been like, you just kind of have this pathetic man. I'm like, how do I, that's how women have been betrayed in everything for, for always. But suddenly we put these kind of very nice attributes to a man and you consider him to be pathetic and wussy. It's just mm-hmm. like, all oh, right, we're not prepared for men to just want love and babies. Um, and it's interesting how kind of defensive men get when they're not portrayed as alpha men <laughs> in books and movies. Yeah, well, I've, I, I think that I've been prone to describing relationships where the woman is dominant. Right. Uh, and there's probably a, 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 a trying to f- fight back. Yeah. It's not, but it's not that conscious. It's more I look back and I think, oh, oops, <laughs> I did it again. <laughs> um, does your husband ever read your books and wonder which guy he's he is? Because that's what my, my husband always says. He opened Let's So Lucky and I was like, oh God, which one of these guys am I going to be? Does he ever... Uh, does Actually, that's a good question. I've asked you this before as well. Does um, does anyone in your life ever see themselves in your characters and become upset about that? Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, of course. Can you go into any detail about that or is that um, going to just piss them off some more? Well, the, the book in which I clearly drew on uh, personal experience while, of course, still trying to create separate mm-hmm. characters and tell a separate story, is the post-birthday world. Right. And the structure of that book is, um, it's a parallel universe, and it's a, a woman who is is either happy or thinks she's happy uh-huh. with a partner that she's been with for nine years and um, is sent, suddenly tempted to kiss a friend of the family um, and and the book splits into two universes so that uh, on the one side of the book she stays with her partner mm-hmm. and is very faithful and her, her life goes one way and uh, in the side of the book where she gave into temptation and kissed this famous snooker player right um she ends up marrying him and has a very different life so it's it's yes. looking at that well it was it was trying to capitalize on whatever I had learned or failed to learn in leaving my last partner and right. marrying my husband. And I, I, I honestly think that there was an element of um, taking the uh, the drumstick and extending it into a snooker cue. Got it. All right. So there was no way that those two men were not going to recognize each other up to a point. And... My husband was uh, very understanding, almost unnaturally so. Didn't take anything personally. It's like, what, are you on drugs? 
Um, <laughs> Why aren't you annoyed? My previous partner was offended. Right. Yeah. So, and 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 I was, I was sorry about that. Right, because that's that's a question in terms of I asked you about that once about how you um, I had a situation where someone had you know accused me of writing about them, and you said a really brilliant line to me, which I quote you on all the time. You don't understand. You don't even know that you did this properly, but you said on an email to me, I don't know how it's possible to plagiarize somebody's life when everything is played out, and um, and I really took that on board because I think where else is a writer or anyone going to get you know, inspiration from them, their own experience and and the things that they've witnessed. And therefore you have the right to, you know, fictionalise any part of your life and any kind of story, if that's what you want to do. And, um, but you've got to be quite hard, I guess, when you do that, especially when it's involving people that you love. You were just lucky that the right man there was happy with it. There, there, <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that's true. Um, I think that uh, what's going to uh, upset or offend people is very difficult to predict. Yes, um, my parents got completely outraged by my fifth novel, A Perfectly Good Family. Right, why? And I had anticipated that it would rub, rub them the wrong way a little bit, not to the extent that it did. I didn't anticipate that at all. But what was interesting is that at least the things they cited in the novel that outraged them weren't nearly what I expected. God, isn't that strange? The th the aspects of the, you know, the paragraphs that I expected for them to find just really close to the bone because they were too true. Right. They never mentioned those sections. I'm, the first thing that came to my mind there is that they, they didn't want to mention them because they were too close to the bone. I think so. <laughs> yeah. So they I, picked I, slightly I, less I, obvious ones. I think that what probably most offended him was indeed the passages that I'm thinking of. Right. But they were so uncomfortable with those passages, right, so they, they couldn't take them on, and they, it, they displaced their displeasure mm -hmm. onto uh, aspects of the book that seemed safer. Yeah. And, but yeah, you, you if, if you're going to avail yourself of your experience, and what else is there? I mean, there's just... That's it. That's it. That's all you've got, really. It's all there yeah. is in your head exactly. is your life and the people you've met. And you can mix it up and you can disguise it, but you're still going to be disguising it with other things that you have encountered, maybe from the newspaper or yeah. from a next-door neighbor. Yes. Um, <laughs> but if you're going to use the stuff of your life, then you're probably going to injure some people. And I don't know how you get a away from that no it's kind of it's kind of inevitable i uh yeah i upset someone who was completely not involved in the actual the oh yes it was fine oh, i yes. was there, like oh, okay. there are people who will project <laughs> themselves into your book and you didn't intend that yeah. in the slightest and that's so that came as a big surprise um i don't know why but i feel like i i it's got nothing to do with what i thought i was going to talk to you about i'm just impelled to ask you what kind of food you like and if you like to cook <laughs> yeah i cook a lot uh we uh we usually have dinner at home Hardly ever eat out, just right. the two of us. Um, and what's that scenario? Is it a, a TV dinner or is it a face-to-face -face talk? Oh, it's a household up? rule. In fact, one of the things that I changed between those two partners was mm. we used to eat in front of the TV. Right. And I decided that was evil. Yeah, it's a very easy trap to fall yeah, into. Yeah, it's a terrible thing to do. Yeah. And and my husband and I never do that. It, you know, I take, I take that back once every... Three or four years, something right. will happen. Um, 
there'll be a debate on TV and, you know, an electoral debate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that we decide to watch together. And it actually has a sort of festive, picnicky uh-huh. feeling because we never do that. Yeah. But the rest of the time, um, we have uh, candlelit dinners. And they're, you know, I. My forte in cooking is putting together something edible and um, with a little bit of pizzazz in a very short period of time. Okay, so what kind of thing? Um, you know, tonight tonight will be like five minutes because it, uh, uh, I've discovered this stuff called avar. It's, oh. it's Turkish. It's mushed up. Uh, red pepper paste oh, and delicious. eggplant and it's very pretty yeah it doesn't need to be doctored very much you need to add a little chopped cilantro and maybe a squeeze of lemon that's coriander and, for and, and a, and a lot UK of chilies right <laughs> <laughs> but it goes great with sea bass and that's what we'll have tonight that's a good example that it sounds will, absolutely it will be delicious. just totally knocked together we usually have a, a whole grain. We eat a lot of brown rice, and, and it's yeah. not—it's not because I hate myself. It's because I actually like brown rice. Yeah, me too. I would right. always choose brown rice. I, over it's white just rice. got more flavor yeah. and more texture. Yeah, I love—I um, love your instantly defensive on. And oh, and we <laughs> um, we start the evening every night with a bowl of popcorn. This is information I need. Mm-hmm. What and kind of popcorn? I've salty or sweet? If you if you read my books and keep an eye out, you will notice that. Popcorn pops up, if you will, with alarming frequency. I feel like this is going to be the new challenge, just to to find all the references. In fact, in my new one, which comes out this spring, The Motion of the Body Through Uh Space, I put in one reference to popcorn. And this time, although it came instinctively, I noticed myself doing it and kept it in there. I thought, great, we managed to get popcorn into another book. And I figured that that from now on, I may just do it on purpose in the same way that John Irving puts bears in all his books. Right, okay. I've obviously got a few questions about the popcorn. So do you pop it yourself? Yes. Um, Is it salty or sweet? It's always savory. So savory is not just salty? We usually have some... It always has some salt on it. So there's different flavors? Uh... I have. I this is one of my problems. Right. Right. We're going to get into therapy now. Okay, I'm ready for it. I'm a little obsessive as a character, mm-hmm. but I often am obsessive about really small, stupid things. For example, I have a ludicrously large collection of dish towels, which we use mostly for napkins. Right. And That's I like idea. all the different colors and mixing them up. Mm-hmm. And I can't have enough. I mean, it, it, and, and if you put me in a shop and there's a row of dish towels, you know, I, I would go nuts looking for new ones and new color combinations. This is sad. Okay? No, I think that's but the, very the other, the other thing that I'm completely obsessive about is popcorn seasoning. And I have a, an orchestral selection. What's your favorite? Do you like truffle? Uh, you know, I haven't I haven't tried truffle, though I do use portobello mushroom powder and blue cheese oh, powder. Oh, God, you really go for it. That so makes I, a good combination. This actually. is just such an insight, Lionel. So, so and I, I discovered a, a, a company in the U.S. that does a wonderful cheeseburger flavor. What? Yeah, cheeseburger and sh- Chicago Steakhouse are, are a couple of their... Oh, and the, uh, loaded baked potato and... 
uh, beer can chicken. Oh, this is fantastic. <laughs> it's so, a little bit like the UK and those flavors of crisps. Yes. Right? Yeah. Uh, and you asked for one of my favorites is uh, it's one that I make myself. Uh, it uses a Thai, a dried Thai chili uh, concoction that I throw in the uh, coffee grinder with dried shrimp. And mutilate it into a little powder and then put it on popcorn <laughs> with cheddar cheese powder. That oh my is goodness. the best. That sounds incredible. So one, I've got one more question about popcorn. This is, oh, you this got is, me started. I, I you wish, know, I'm not going to stop. I, I'm going to keep talking. I could tell you many more flavors. I just wish that we'd, I wish that we'd got onto this 20 minutes ago yeah, and we yeah. had a good 20 minutes to talk about. My, so my last question on popcorn is, so you have a bowl every night. What do you mean you start the night with a bowl of popcorn? So what's this ritual? Um, if we're in London, mm -hmm. it means uh, sitting down to Newsnight because it's on ser series record. Yeah. So we watch it when, when we want. It's usually a little later than 1030. It's usually more like 11. Right. And uh, I make popcorn and we have uh, a sherry with that. I just think you're so brilliant. You're just... It's a, it's a good life. It's... Uh, we're, I, that... I mean, especially since it also marks the point at which exercise is over, which I consider odious, right. and 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 the best part of exercise is that you have done it, and then you get to eat. There's nothing good about yeah, doing no, it. Yeah, that's awful. So, uh, popcorn hour, which my previous partner and I used to call indulgence hour, right. which lasts a lot longer than an hour. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the highlight of the day. That and getting into bed. Uh, so it's 11 o'clock, popcorn hour starts, and then you eat dinner at around midnight. Yeah. I never expected to get such such detail and such an insight into you at home. I have a visual. I have a sense of smell and taste of all these different amazing popcorn toppings. I'm going to go and investigate my own. I'm going to come up with my own, and then I'm going to send them to you. I look forward to it. Um I couldn't. I, I am always open to new ideas. Okay, God, what a challenge. Um, Lionel, is there anyone that you look at um, out there in the world that you consider to be very lucky? I used to be very envious of journalists, right. especially foreign correspondents. Um, I envy them their, their bravery and their adventurism and their exposure to all this interesting material. Mm -hmm. That has become a much more passive envy in recent times because I want to stay home and eat my popcorn. <laughs> and I don't want to be in a war zone. But I'm still impressed by them. You know, someone like Lindsay Hilsom. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, she has an incredible life. She's very smart. She's very hardworking. She meets all these different people. Uh, I think that's a really interesting alternative life. Uh -huh. you know, if, we, if we're going to go for parallel universes, I think being a foreign correspondent would be great. I can see it. Um, thank you very much for being on So Lucky. Well, thank you for having me. A huge thanks to Lionel for talking to me on the podcast. Lionel's latest book, Property, is out now in paperback, ebook, and audiobook. And her next book, The Motion of the Body Through Space, will be out in 2020. 
I have even more brilliant guests lined up for you on upcoming episodes of So Lucky, so please do make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on your smart speaker of choice to get each one as it drops. If you enjoyed this conversation, I'd be very grateful if you left a review on whatever platform you're using because that helps more people find the podcast. And if you just can't get enough of me, my own book, also called So Lucky, is out now in print, ebook, and audiobook. Thanks again to Lionel, to producer Emma Corsham at Rethink Audio, to Fanula, to Liz, to Kim, and all the team at HarperCollins, and to you for listening. I'll see you next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.